God's Word. Turn with me once more to John chapter 14. For the reading of God. We'll be reading through verse 11. Christ is speaking. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Amen. Thus far the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord our God, as we continue to worship you, as we come uh, to uh, the pinnacle, uh, as we come with expectation to... uh, submit to you to be under your word we pray O god that your spirit who inspired these words of old through the apostle john faithful words true words even the word of christ lord we pray that you would open our understanding by this same spirit and grant us to hear and to see christ and as we see him that we see you father Lord, bless that which you have appointed, the preaching of the word, foolishness to men, and yet you have appointed it to bring you glory. Bless, Lord. Bless us, for we are your people, and we look to you. We come needy to be fed of our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Solomon, that wisest of mere men, said in Ecclesiastes, Truly this I have found. That God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Yes, indeed, we were made in the image of God from the beginning. We were made to commune with our Creator and to enjoy sweet fellowship with Him. Sweet fellowship with the Almighty God who spoke and out of nothing made all things. In the beginning of all creation, including man, God looked at that which He had done, the conclusion of the six weeks of creation, and said it was all very good. But sin entered in. Man then was driven out of the garden and away from God. And yet God in his tender mercy has provided a way back to him. An exodus out of the world and sin and back to the Father. We heard last week how Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's only by him that we can come to God. Verse 5 from the previous week, no one comes to the Father but by me. And by faith we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. By faith we are united to Jesus and we receive the benefits that he has secured for us in his cross. And indeed benefits for all his people. Those benefits include adoption. So that we are the children of God. And that we can call on him, Abba, Father. The Father sent Jesus to save a people to himself. And these redeemed ones... Long to see Jesus. Is that not the longing of your heart to see Jesus, but to be brought by him to the Father? Indeed, there is a day coming when that will be a reality. This longing of our hearts to see the Father 
in that we can identify with Philip here in this passage when he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. The Father sent Jesus to save a people to himself, and these redeemed ones have a common bond, a common longing that we should behold our God. We prayed moments ago, our Father, hallowed be your name. Our God is holy. We recognize that because of our sinfulness, we are worse than unholy. We are corrupt and defiled and sinful, unable, and yet apart from the work of Christ, unwilling to come to God. But God brings us to himself in Christ Jesus. He brings us to see the Father. He brings us to be children of the Father. He brings us into right relationship with the Father because in Christ and by his blood, our sins are forgiven. And as we've heard just moments ago, he remembers them no more. So as we see what's happened in this point in the upper room, it's somewhat familiar to us. Like Philip, we want to see the Father. Now, Jesus has been with these men for three years, discipling them. They have walked with him. Other than a couple of occasions where he sent them out two by two, they have been with him. They have beheld him. They've seen his ministry. They've heard his preaching. But he's told them he's going away. And he's preparing them for his departure. It's not that he just suddenly will walk out the door, but no, he's preparing them. And shortly they will no longer be able to see him. That's what he's explained to them. After his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and receive that which the Father has promised to him in Psalm 2 that we will be singing a little later on, the close of the service. He's to ascend to the right hand of the Father to rule the nations. But he's there to make intercession for us. He is there working on our behalf to reveal the Father to us. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for this departure. We find ourselves in this period after Jesus' departure and before his return. That's where we dwell. We love the Father, and we long to see him as he is made known to us in the only begotten. Like the disciples, those 11 in that upper room, uh, they could not see the Father with their eyes. They had to see him with the eye of faith. They had to see him in the Son. And this is where the confusion entered in. And so we, too, dwelling here and now, would echo Philip's words, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. We come to God in Christ by faith, and then we live out our days by faith. Circumstances change. Times can be hard, whether individually for us or perhaps as a family, but collectively, corporately, as a church and as a people in a particular place. Things can be difficult. We can struggle in our pilgrimage here on earth below. And how often we wish we could just, just have a glimpse of the Father, just to see his glory. That would be sufficient, just for a moment, for, as it were, the clouds to break open and us to see God. As we consider that this morning, we're going to use five main headings. Show us the Father. See Jesus. See the Father. What is enough? And right reasons, we'll consider right reasons to believe, and then we will close and conclude with Jesus is enough. We begin with, then, this first one uh, from the text, even the title of the sermon, Show Us the Father. 
moments ago, Jesus has told these men that he is going to depart from them. He's going to go to the Father. He's going to the Father's house, and there he's going to be preparing for them a place for them to come and to dwell. And then he goes on to say that he will return from that place. He's coming back to gather them. And you'll remember not to be in the house, but to be with him. And to be with Christ is to be with our triune God. For the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. In preparation for this departure, Jesus is instructing them. Here we find him instructing about the Father. They've been with the Son. They don't fully comprehend that. Thus the confusion we see here. But Jesus is taking this occasion in the upper room to instruct them, to tell them more, to open their eyes to see more of the Father. Later on we're going to see that he's going to instruct them about the Holy Spirit as well. So as we consider the upper room discourse, we have a pretty uh, comprehensive treatment of the persons of the Trinity. So here are the eleven in that upper room that night. And what we see here um, is a reality that we can relate to. They know Jesus, and yet they don't know Jesus. What I mean to say is they know Jesus, but they don't fully know Jesus. And that's really what Jesus is unfolding for them. For as they would fully know Jesus, then they will know the Father. They will see the Father. This Jesus explains in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. They didn't know him well enough. They didn't fully comprehend. In fact, they did not understand what Jesus was saying about the Father, proved that they did not fully understand Jesus. Let me say that again. The fact they did not understand what Jesus was saying about his relationship to the Father reveals that they don't fully understand Jesus and who he is. Now that Jesus' hour has come, all that's about to change. In verse 7, Jesus says, From now on you have known him and have seen him. Um, It's not to say that in that moment, but remember we're in this hour, events unfolding of Christ's suffering. And in that now, the things that are unfolding, they will come away. And even as Paul talks about the golden chain that we're justified and we're sanctified, and he says we're glorified as though it has happened, because it's a certainty that will happen, Jesus speaks in a similar way here. From now on, you know him. What is unfolding, what will take place, will open the eyes of the disciples, will complete the revelation of God, that they will then be able to understand the Father and to see him. Isn't it remarkable that that hour, this unfolding, this pulling back, this revealing, includes and is focused on what is central is the suffering of Christ. And again, as we have been so often, we reflect back on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. What did he do? He sent his son into the world to die for sinners so that he could save them and open the way to the Father. That we could experience the exodus coming out of sin and depravity and the world and back to the Father. We do so through the Son. But it's through the suffering that we not only see Christ... It's his humiliation and his obedience to the Father that he reveals to us the Father. Jesus' death and resurrection and then the coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness at the Pentecost will then increase the knowledge of these 11 significantly. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus will tell them later, then he will teach you all things. He will call to your mind the things that you've heard. It says suddenly uh, the last piece of the puzzle is necessary is put into place, and they see it. They see the whole as the Holy Spirit gives them understanding. You can imagine them after Pentecost reflecting back on this 
discourse and many other of Jesus' teaching and having that wonderful moment of, like we say, the lights came on, the, the wonderful aha, the understanding that God gives to his people. Some of you know that even as you've been brought out of the world to Christ where you've heard the gospel and it, it seemed confusion and yet there was something there and God was drawing you to himself. And then as the spirit worked in you, there was that moment where it just all made sense, where you had understanding and you were able to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Jesus says, as these events most certainly will come to pass, it is most certainly that they will know and see the Father. Well, it's clear that these events have yet to take place. And so Philip says, again, Lord, show us the Father. Verse 8, show us the Father. This longing to see the Father is nothing new. Remember in Genesis. No, I'm sorry, it was in Exodus. Remember in Exodus, um, hopefully preaching there later, um, where Moses, he's leading the people of God. Um, He's been discouraged. He's with this mass of humanity, millions upon millions of people. And what is it they do? They grumble. They're murmuring. They're complaining. And Moses is leading them. And no doubt he becomes discouraged. And there's a great weight on him. And he pleads with God that he would show him his glory. That it would be something of an encouragement to him. He's been walking by faith. Uh, Even though he's the one who beheld uh, the Christophany of the second person of the Trinity in the burning bush. And he's seen the miracles. He even experienced the throwing down of his staff and becoming a serpent and taking it back up as a staff. Placing his hand inside of his cloak, it comes out leprous. Putting back, it comes out cleansed and pure. He's seen the mighty miracles. And yet, as he leads the people, Moses says, Lord, show me yourself. And God marvelously condescends to him, places Moses in a cleft of the rock. We would think of that as being hidden in Christ. And as God passes by, God, as it were, removes his hand, and Moses has the opportunity to behold the trailing side of God's glory. Moses longed to see the glory of God. What about Elijah, the Old Testament prophet? who stands apart and above the others, who, who is the prophet of the time of wicked King Ahab and Jezebel with their prophets of Baal, and the people have been deceived, and so God's afflicted them with no rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah goes out and challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest, as it were. He says, you build an altar, and you have an oxen. I'll build an altar, and I'll have an oxen. And then you call on the name of your God to send down fire. You put no fire under the sacrifice. Call on your God. And they did. And they did so for all the morning on into the afternoon. And they remember how Elijah took the oxen and he put it on the wood on the altar. And then he called for them to bring water and to pour it over the sacrifice on the wood, on the altar. Three times. This is in a time of tremendous scarcity of water. So that it's fully saturated. And then he just calmly looks heavenwards and prays, O God, magnify your name. Make it known to these people that you are God and all the others are idols. And God sends fire down that consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and licks up the water. Wow. Wouldn't you say, man, if I could see something like that. Man, I'd be able to blaze a trail through the rest of my days. I'd walk faithfully and in strength of Christ, and I'd make it to the end of my days finishing well. You wouldn't. And Elijah didn't. Because after that, Elijah went and slew the 400 prophets of Baal. Jezebel, she was into those dudes. And they're all dead. And she puts out a, 
a, a warrant for Elijah's death, and he flees the prophet who's just been the instruments whereby the power of God is displayed, and he runs from God, or from Jezebel. He runs, he goes into the wilderness, and uh, angels come and minister to his needs, and he runs on further in the wilderness. We believe he went to Mount Sinai, and he longs to see God. And there, as he's at the mountain of God, he experiences a violent wind, the shaking of the earth, and then the fire. But God was not in those. God spoke in a still, small voice. He wanted to experience God, wanted to see God. And then we know that Elijah went back, encouraged, and continued to serve the Lord. Philip speaks in this passage on behalf of the others. Lord, it is sufficient for us. This isn't Philip speaking. You know, we're typically seeing Peter being the spokesman. Here it's Philip who is speaking. He says, Lord, show us the Father. He wants to see what we all long to see. If we could just see God, that would be enough to get us through what is coming. Do we get this? Do we understand this? You have these circumstances in your life. Perhaps you're in a situation right now where if you could just get a glimpse of God, it'd be enough. You'd be able to persevere, press on a little bit longer. It would be marvelous to be sure. We say, God, if you just let me see you, if, if you could just speak to me, I just, just to hear an audible world, tell me what to do, and then I could get through this moment. Well, Jesus' answer to the 11 in the upper room should also prove helpful for us today. Jesus goes on then to our second point. He says, see See me, see Jesus, and you see the Father. What Philip was saying on behalf of the others is what we so often say, if I could just see the Father, it would be so much easier to believe, right? If, if I could just see, if I could just walk out, Lord, if you just you'd kind of give me a, a special uh, virtual reality screen or something that would kind of lay out what the path is that I'm supposed to go through my days, it would be so much easier But you see, God has said, no, walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus responds to Philip's request and Philip's pleading. And we would do well to hear Jesus' words. uh, Jesus says in verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father Children, what Philip was looking for is he wanted a theophany, a a visible representation of the holy God. He wanted to be able to see God. Um, Today, children, you're you're so used to uh, being on a screen and maybe FaceTiming with your grandparents. You know, they're many miles away, and yet you can see them, and there's a greater connection. We certainly enjoy that with our grandchildren. Uh, There's a better connection with the scene of those whom we love when they're far away from us. Not to be too ridiculous, but uh, that's sort of what Philip's asking for. If I could just get a little face time with God, I would be bolstered. I would be strengthened. I'd be able to press on. I could go forward. He wants a visual display. Well, we're visual, are we not? We have our senses, and we generally live by our senses. Of course, when it comes to a new life in Christ, it is a life by faith. We hear God, and we believe God. And to hear God and to obey God, it's to be counted to us is righteousness. And then it's a life of walking by faith and not by sight. Well, Jesus tells Philip and the others that 
they have something better than screen time or FaceTime with God. Jesus says, I've been with you three years. Now, we might say, boy, if I could have those three years with Jesus, everything would be well with my soul. I'd be able to just go on, right? I mean, look at what they had. But my friends, we're no different than they are. We're of light nature with them. Uh, The struggle that we hear from Philip here uh, would likely afflict us as well. What Jesus is really telling his disciples is seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. Now, it's the same thing we'll hear when Jesus engaged with Thomas later on after the resurrection. Remember, Judas, he saw everything. He heard everything. And he had no faith in his heart. So seeing is not believing. Now, this word, there's several words in the Greek language for seeing, and I'm not going to go all linguistic on you. I'm going to keep this as simple as I can. There's one word in the Greek language uh, that's pretty common. To see an object and you know what it is. To see a chair. I know it's a chair. I see it. I understand it's a chair. Uh, There's another one um, that we see something and seeing it, it causes us to think about it. We get our word to theorize from that, that there's more than just seeing. It's like seeing the chair and then thinking about the chair. You know, I, I could sit in that chair, and if I sat down, it would hold me up. Um, I could see what it's made of, and you know, I might imagine theorize about who the craftsman was who put it together. There's that word. Uh, this is what we see in when uh, they're at the tomb, that Peter saw Jesus' grave clothes lying there in the empty tomb, and he began to wonder. He was that scene. He's thinking about that. What does this mean? There's a third one that is used when the disciples are then gathered in the house after the resurrection. They're there. The doors are locked, and Jesus appears in their midst, and there they saw the Lord. And that one, that word for seeing, means that they saw and they understood they had comprehension. They understood what they were seeing. And Jesus uses this third ver- word in verse 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, you see me, you comprehend me, then you comprehend who the Father is, what he's like. I and the Father are one. Understand me, and you will understand the Father. Now, Philip uses the Greek word that means gives us, give us a visual dis- demonstration of the Father. That's how he's saying. We want to see this visual demonstration. And Jesus tells Philip that's exactly what he's had, what they've had for the last three years. As they've walked with Jesus, they've had a visual representation, an unfolding um, not to be too simplified, but a, a movie. Their, their experience is right there. It's unfolding. Day by day, they see these visual images coming in. They hear the dialogue. They're experiencing the miracles. They're hearing the preaching. For three years, they've seen Jesus doing that. And Jesus is saying, you've seen the Father. To understand who Jesus is is to understand who the Father is. For Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is God incarnate. This is how John opened his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus has come to reveal the Father to the sons of Adam. And so Jesus has continually announced what he is doing. We've seen this in John's gospel, where Jesus says, I only do the will of the Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. Jesus came to earth to reveal God to man on earth. He is the representation of who God is. In the fall of Adam, 
It's so affected mankind that we, we are all ready to make idols. Again, I'm delighted where we're at in Isaiah providentially because we've seen that in this 44th chapter. This inclination that we have as fallen sinful men, we will worship. Make no mistake about it. You might have friends who say, I don't worship any God. I'm just, I'm atheist. I don't worship. But trust me, everyone worships something or someone. And we've seen how Isaiah described, you know, the man who goes out, he sees a fine tree, a cider, a cypress or a cedar. He cuts it down and he takes part of it and he uses it to bake his bread or cook his meat. He takes another part of it and he carves out an image and he says, this is my God. And he bows down. He worships it, not even seeing the foolishness. That's who we are. As Calvin said, our, our hearts are industrious idol factors, factories. If one of our idols fails us, we'll manufacture another. And so as sinners, we would go so far even to imagine God after an image that we make in our own mind. I can remember an occasion where some years ago I was doing door-to-door evangelism with my pastor. And we were in a home with two women who were living together in sin. And there's a horde of children. And I'm hurting children trying to help. The pastor had an opportunity to talk to at least one of the women. And, and afterwards, he told me how the conversation went. And she and her, her partner were shopping for a church that was following a God after their own imagination, a God who would condone who they were and what they were doing. That's what we all do. That's our inclination, to have a God of our own making. So sometimes you'll hear friends say, well, you know, if, if your God of the Bible punishes sinners, well, that's not my God. That's not what I serve. I'm, I'm sure that's the case. We're inclined to make a God our own liking. But you see, God is who he is. He is unchanging. And he has manifested himself. He's made himself known in his son. In his deity, in the deity, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one God. They're same in essence and substance, equal in power and glory. Jesus is eternal with the Father. Jesus knows the mind of the Father because it is shared with him. He shares as the Son of God all the attributes of God. In his humanity, his humanity is as our humanity, yet without sin. Some of you have read, many of you I hope have read in Colossians, I believe it's chapter 1, how Paul, speaking of Christ, says of Christ, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What Paul is saying there, he's taking what Jesus says here. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says the fullness, or Paul is telling us that in the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is found in the Son. He is the manifestation of God to us. He's not only the one who redeems us and brings us to God, he makes known to us who God is and what God is like. So here's Jesus with his disciples, and part of what they're struggling with is the humanity of Christ is, in some sense, veiling the deity of Christ. And indeed, this was the case while he walked on the earth. We've seen how the religious leaders, they accused Jesus of blasphemy when he said, you know, that God is my Father. The Father and I are one. I've come from the Father. I'm going back to heaven. All this was troublesome to them because they're looking and they see a man. Is not he from Nazareth? Are not his mother and brothers with us? Because of sin, their hearts are dead and they're unable to see 
past what they see with the eyes. They're not able to see with the eye of faith and understand the manifestation, the revelation that is in Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You've seen that. And in seeing that, you have seen the Father. Now, to be clear, the Father and the Son are distinct persons. There's three persons in the Godhead. We must remember what the Scripture reveals about the Trinity. The Father is not the Son nor the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father nor the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. But there are three persons in one God. And God has appointed His Son to be the one to make Himself known. Jesus reveals the Father to us. Because Jesus is also fully God in his person, the very essence of the Father is in him. And though his humanity uh, in some sense veils his deity, yet, as he says here that we're going to cover in a moment, his works make it known who he is. Without Jesus coming to the earth to reveal the Father, the Father would have remained a mystery to man. That's not to say that we don't know something about God. Romans, uh, Paul writes in Romans one twenty. although since the creation of the world, his, speaking of God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, that is humanity, all humanity, is without excuse. The creation makes known God's attributes. It makes known something about him, particularly his eternal power and Godhead. But it does not reveal the fullness of who God is. The creation is not an adequate revelation to show us how to come to the Father. Christ is that one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who reveals us, reveals the Father to us. If it were, if it were not for Christ, we, as Paul says in Acts 17 at Mars Hill, he said we would be groping for God. And, and in a sense, that's what people's making of idols and worshiping idols, they're, they're groping after God. They know there's, there's got to be a God. You, throughout humanity and down through history and the people groups, you find them worshiping something. There's this groping for God. And so Paul's there in Athens, and he knows they've got a, a, an altar to the unknown God. It's as though they're mindful that there must be something more. Well, Paul says, I've come to make known to you, to proclaim to you who is that unknown God. And what does he do? He preaches Jesus Christ. That's how he would make God known to these people. Christ is ascended to the right hand of the Father. But there's a, an efficacy and a power in the preached word of God with the blessing of the Holy Spirit that we see Christ. And when we see Christ, we see the Father. Paul writes to the Galatians, I think it's in the opening of chapter 3, and maybe chapter 5, but in the beginning of one of those two chapters, he writes to the Galatians, they're over, um, I think that's Asia Minor, he, they weren't in the Middle East, they weren't in Palestine when Jesus was crucified, and yet Paul says, you have seen Christ crucified. How was that? By the preaching of the word of God. My friends, that's how we see Jesus today. Jesus in his humanity is seated at the right hand of the Father. In his deity, he is with us, present in our worship even now. We are in the presence of our God. And he's ministering to us, communicating with him, blessing us. Soon he will feed us through the Lord's Supper. But God makes himself known to us in the Son. Jesus came to overcome 
what we could not overcome on ourselves. Listen with me again as we hear those marvelous words that the writer of Hebrews says. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person. You see, that's the same message because it's inspired from the same spirit that in Christ we see God's glory. We see the expressed image of his person. Before we go on, some more application. My, my friends, do you, if you would see the Father, then see Jesus. See Jesus as he's made himself known in his word, especially through the preaching of the word. We come to know the Father through him. Any imagination that we have of God the Father that does not fully align with the Word of God is a false imagination. It's, it's a constructing of a false God, and we need to reject it and cast it aside. That's why we must be students of the Word, that we would come to understand who God is as He has revealed Himself to be. The Word of God tells us all that we need to know about Jesus. Did you get that? It tells us all that we need to know. We don't need anything else. This is the full and sufficient revelation. God spoke through the prophets and the apostles, and we have all that he has to say to us, and it is sufficient for us. So we understand things about the Father. We know the Father is kind, because in the Scripture we see Jesus is kind. We know the Father is compassionate, because in the Scriptures we see that Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he was compassionate. We know the Father is merciful, because... We see the Lord Jesus Christ engaging with men, the sons of Adam, with mercy. And we know that the Father is ready to forgive and receive sinners who come to him for salvation. We know this because Jesus was crucified. And even as he was crucified, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see the Father revealed in him. Well, then we want to consider this third question. What is enough Philip, like Elijah, thought that he needed a sensory experience. To be sure, Elijah got a sensory experience. As we stated before, he he experienced the mighty rushing wind uh, that even buffeted the mountains so that it moved. And that was followed by an earthquake and then this great fire, perhaps uh, um, what's described there as massive bolts of lightning. But God was not in those things. The prophet was fearful For his life, and thus he had fled. But he didn't need earth, wind, and fire. He needed the word of God. And so God came, and Elijah heard a whisper. He had a word, it was whisper. Oh, God can speak and make the mountains tremble, to be sure. But God coming to his servant, whom he loves, he comes with tenderness, he comes with compassion, he comes with patience to Elijah. Understanding his frailty, though um, equipped by God, he had accomplished mighty things, but he, he, he sees Elijah for where he's at, and he comes. But what we must know is he comes to the prophet by word. And what is the word of God? Or should we say, who is the word of God? It's Christ. That word that Elijah heard was Christ. Well, Philip is looking for what we so often look for. We want to overcome the feeling that God seems so far away. You've had those experiences, right, where God seems just so far off. Perhaps you you have the sense of that 
distance because you've known those times of closeness. When you've had sweet communion with the Father, it's times when you just seem so far away. And we long to sense him near. Well, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. Today, he is still the revelation of the Father to his people. In Jesus, we find all that God has promised. It's all yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that Jesus, and therefore God, is with us today? We know that in his humanity, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We cannot behold him in his humanity. The the only God-ordained visible representation we have of the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord's Supper. Through bread and wine, Christ is pictured to us. We need no other. We just heard moments ago that in these last days, Jesus has spoken in his Son that God has spoken in his son. So how is it that we behold Jesus today and therefore understand who the Father is? Well, it's through the word. It's through the preaching of the word. These disciples, they were weak in their faith and there was much that they needed to learn. But it was after Jesus went to the right hand of the Father that he sent the Holy Spirit to them in fullness. Pentecost, the Spirit came down in fullness and filled them. And the house was filled with the sound of a rushing wind as the Spirit came down upon the, the early church after the resurrection. And they are empowered and they speak in tongues and languages that people who are visiting in Jerusalem can understand. And they're hearing them speak of the gospel in their own language, and they marvel at this, and some are scoffers and say, oh, these men are drunk. You know what? I always think that's the most ridiculous thing. Every drunk I've encountered, if he says anything, it's not intelligible. These men are speaking in languages they don't know because this Holy Spirit has enabled and empowered them in that time for that moment to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who have come from distant places. But the Holy Spirit instructs them They begin to understand the Old Testament. We know with Paul, who was an Old Testament scholar, learned at the feet of Gamaliel, an Old Testament scholar unlike any other, and yet he had much to learn. And after his conversion, he spends two years in a desert, and the Holy Spirit instructs him. He opens his eyes. He gives him understanding. And thus, we have the the letters of Paul that are rich, that, that open the Old Testament and explain things to us because the Holy Spirit is doing what? He's revealing Christ. He's revealing who Christ is, what he's accomplished. He's making him known to us through the word, for the word is Christ. So if we would see Jesus so that we can see the Father, we must be regularly and systematic in the word and under the word. Most importantly... It is is important that we should be in the word and in the home and throughout the day. But more importantly, most importantly in all, it should be our practice to gather with the people of God on the Lord's day to be under the preaching of the word. For this is the most uh, powerful way in which God makes himself known. When the word of God is faithfully preached by the man of God with the Holy Spirit's blessing, we hear Jesus. And he shows us the Father. This is where the Holy Spirit is most actively at work. We struggle in our days, don't we? We all have different places we struggle and problems we get into. And yet we, we lose sight of this. You know, there, there's part of us as we're struggling with something. If I could just see the Father, and then foolishly, we don't come to worship on the Lord's Day. And it's there that Jesus is made known to us, and he reveals the Father to us. 
Some years ago, I was reading through the Word of God yet again, and I was using a different translation. And I came upon 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter's writing about seeing Jesus in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Wouldn't you like to have been there? I had a sense, I mean, yeah, be honest, that would have been astounding. That would have been awesome. But you see how it afflicted Peter. He's, he's stammering and he, he doesn't even know what he's saying. He said, we'll build booths for the three of you, Elijah and Moses and Christ. And then a cloud comes down and out of the cloud, the father speaks. And they hear Christ, or hear the father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Does he say, see him? Look at him? Touch him? No. The Father says, hear him. That's the Father's answer. Hear the Son. Listen to the Son. The Son makes known the Father to us. And it's the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, even the Word of Christ, that opens and lays it on our hearts that we would see him. Hear him. So what did I discover in... 2 Peter 1, where Peter is writing about that. Listen to this passage. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's taken us to the Mount of Transfiguration. For he received from, the God, from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Wow. What an experience. We love experiences, don't we? I'm no doubt Peter loved that experience. But listen to what Peter goes on to say. He goes on to say, we also have a more sure prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light shines in the darkness. When that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. You see what Peter's saying? So I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And for a moment, the veil that hid the deity and the glory of Christ was pulled back. Now, he did not see the full measure of the glory of God because he was yet clothed in sinful flesh, and he could not, not and survive. But he saw something. He, Peter, James, and John, they saw something in the glory of God. Wow. I mean, just think about that. And yet, what did Peter do? We just heard he's going to do it. He denied the Christ. But Peter goes on to tell us here, and we must never forget this. Uh, you're going to find different translations in this, but when I tell you that the way I've read it to you is an accurate translation, I have it in the margins in the New King James. We also have the more sure prophetic word. Peter's saying, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And notice what he says, we have. He says, I have something better in the word of God that is inspired by the spirit written down. And he says, you have something better. That is of more value to you than if we're just talking and I tell you about that experience. As marvelous as that would be, we have something more sure than one man accounting his experience. We have the word of God. My friends, 
Let us esteem the word of God. Let us not take it lightly. We have it in our hands, in our homes, in our hearts. We are blessed to have the word of God. And here we have the revelation of God in his son. Do you want to know God? Would you know and behold Jesus? Then look for him and learn from him. See him in the inspired and inerrant word of God. Look for him when you come to corporate worship. For he is here uniquely above all other places. He meets with us in his worship. Seek out a faithful church where the word of God is faithfully preached. And if you have such a one, don't take it for granted. Be grateful. Give God the glory. Continue to pray for the ministry of the word that it would continue to be faithful. For Paul told the elders even at Ephesus that there would be wolves that would creep in of their own number. So we pray for the maintenance and the faithfulness of the word of God even as we did this morning in our corporate prayer. Let's consider, fourthly, right reasons to believe. Why should we believe Jesus? Jesus has been explaining to Philip and the others that if they've seen him, they've seen the Father. So he says, why, why do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You see how he repeats that twice? Notice what he says, believe me. And he tells us why we should. So what are these reasons why we should believe Jesus? Well, verse 10, because Jesus says, I don't speak of my own authority. I speak from authority from the Father who dwells in me. Now, let us remember who Jesus is. He's fully God. And so as God, he and the Father are one. Their, their word, their message, everything about them is one. Jesus is here. He's in his humanity who is before the men. They see his humanity. He's saying that humanity is fully submissive to the Father. Now, we've touched on this before. I want to just take a, a brief moment. What we're seeing here, the theologians talk about the economical, or we might say the functional, the working aspect of the Trinity. In the Trinity, from all eternity past, now and forevermore, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in absolute harmony and agreement about everything. You know, I've told you that when Jesus is on the cross and suffering in his humanity to pay for our sins, as God, he is also pouring out wrath on his humanity. The Father and the Son, the Spirit, operate in complete harmony. But here, Jesus, who appears to them as a man, he is fully man as well as fully God. He is saying that he's not speaking of his own authority. He's speaking as Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's son, in his humanity. He says, my authority comes from God. He has an authority that was uniquely given to him. Remember when John the Baptist baptized him, he pouring out the waters on him, the picture of the coming down of the Holy Spirit upon him. He was anointed the Messiah. He is the Lord's servant who has come. He is uniquely commissioned. There is no other like him. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't speak of my own authority. But let us understand Jesus was not a, a puppet. Or children, have you seen the ventriloquist that has the dummy sitting on the lap? And he's got his hand inside and he works some parts in there and makes the mouth move and he talks so his lips don't move. Jesus isn't one of those either. There's no cosmic hand at work manipulating the Son. He is full of the Spirit. And He is operating in complete obedience to the Father. 
his unity with the Father enables him to speak what the Father is speaking. His unity with his Father enables him to do what he sees his Father doing. Jesus' humanity is fully human, and it has no mixture with his deity. The two natures are not confused or blended. They are separate and distinct, and yet in this one person forever, even now, Christ in our humanity is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. For all of you who believe on Jesus and have eternal life, it's so because the Godhead acted in harmony in you. God, the whole of God, the whole of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have acted in harmony in all of our salvation. Jesus was the one in his humanity uniquely appointed to pay for our sins. But they all are acting in concert. We, we mentioned how Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life and take it up. The scripture tells us the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And it also tells us the Father raised him from the dead. The Father, Son, and Spirit acting in complete, complete harmony. So knowing this, we can press on in a world living by faith. We can press on and overcome because God is with us and he speaks to us from his word. We can believe Jesus because the Father is speaking through him. And we can believe the word of God because the holy men of old that we heard, they weren't speaking of their own volition. They were speaking as the Holy Spirit put the words in them that we should have the very word of God. So why should we believe Jesus? Another reason. Jesus says, if it's not enough for you to believe my word... Look at what he says in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. He said this twice now. Or else, it's like if, you, if you're not able to do that, believe me for the work, sake of the works themselves. And in that, when he says the works, Jesus is saying to these 11 men, all these miracles that you have seen, all of the mighty acts of God from the time that he was anointed as Messiah, what, is they, what have they seen? Water to wine, a few loaves and a few fish feeding 5,000 and then 12 pretty decent sized baskets left over when they're done. They've been on the sea when the storm comes and Jesus comes walking on the water to them and calms the storm and they are what manner of man is this? They've seen all these things and Jesus says, remember that. He's healed paralytics. He's healed leprous ones. He's raised the dead a couple of times. He says, if you can't believe because of my words, he says, for the sake of the works. And in the earlier verse, he says, these are the Father's works. A powerful testimony of who Jesus is. Back in chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus declares that his mighty works are proof of his identity. So why should we believe Jesus? Because Jesus and Jesus alone fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament. The promised one who was to come from the seed of the woman in the garden all the way until now. Jesus and Jesus alone fulfills every single prophecy. Matthew goes to great length in his gospel to show it how it is that Christ fulfills all these. Even down the time of his crucifixion, it was prophesied that while he was being crucified, there would be those who would divide his garments by casting lots. So it's a small, insignificant thing, really, in, in light of all that's going on in that moment. And yet, it was foretold, and it happened. So it brings us then to the closing. Jesus is enough. 
But is he enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? Is he enough for your needs? Yes. Most assuredly, yes. He is enough. Jesus was enough for Elijah when he was on the run and filled with fear. He heard the living word and was strengthened to return and go and serve God until God took him up into heaven in a fiery chariot. Wow. Jesus was enough for Elijah to finish well. Jesus was enough for Peter. We're in this period in John Gospel where Peter's silent. He's been told he's going to deny the Lord. And indeed he does. The next time we hear him speak in John's Gospel, he's denying the Lord. But Jesus was enough to forgive Peter, to restore Peter, to empower Peter. It's Peter on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, who preaches and thousands come into the kingdom. Jesus was enough for the eleven in that upper room who are going to go out fleeing and hiding when Jesus was arrested and crucified. But then after the resurrection, these ordinary The religious leaders would say, uneducated men. Jesus was enough that full of his spirit, they went literally to the ends of the earth preaching the good news. And God built his church. Perhaps some of you need a redeemer to rescue you from your sin. The word of God reveals Christ as the one who is enough. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. He can save you to the uttermost. Perhaps some of you are wrestling with a besetting sin. Jesus is enough. He not only died to save us from our sin, he died to sanctify us from sin so that we could live as more than conquerors. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to bring life to those who are perishing. Jesus shows us that the Father is strong to save all those who will call upon his name. Amen. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you. We thank you for men like Philip, Thomas, Peter. We thank you that these men, men like us, of like nature with us, that their strugglings, their wrestling, even their stumbling and sometimes stubborn words are recorded. We thank you that your word is so real, so connected to where we live. We thank you that it's faithful and true in all these respects. We thank you for Christ taking the time in the upper room to explain to the eleven how in him we see the Father. Father, continue to show us Christ in his word preached. Continue to lead us by your word and spirit that we might finish the course set before us and that we would finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.